Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 11? And if you want to get ahead, Genesis chapter 48. Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 48. We're going to be looking at verse 21 today in the faith of Jacob. Our study is entitled, By Faith, Jacob Blessed, Worshipped, and Leaned. And we get that straight from the text here in verse 21 where it says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now faith, that undergirding foundational belief that God is God, that's what we're studying here in chapter 11. By the time we get to chapter 11 in Hebrews, The author is telling this group of Jewish believers, okay, you know the theology, you see the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Let me give you now example after example after example after example after example of men and women who knew less than you did and experienced less than you did, never meeting their Messiah personally. I want to reveal to you these men and women that continue to go forward without going backward, that continue to move on without giving up, that continue to move on without quitting. And so we began to see these men so far, like Abel and Enoch and Noah. We looked at Abraham and Sarah We learned of Isaac, and now we come to Jacob. Now, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, to some degree, these are known as the patriarchs of the Jewish nation. These are the men that God chose and gave the promise of the land that would be theirs forever. And the multiplying of people and generation after generation, God gave them the promises. And so we're learning about faith, that God, he's the origin and the object. Don't forget that. God is both the object and the origin of our faith. It's not something we just make up on our own. The good news about faith is that when the Bible declares that God desires something from us or even demands something from us, the Bible also shows how God supplies that. So he doesn't just kind of say, hey, this is what I want from you. I hope you can make it. You know, like we were reading those books when our kids were little. And and I think it was the little engine that could. And there's a phrase in that book where the little engine is going, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And just mustering up all the energy to get up the hill. And I think believers, you know, some people live their life like that. I think I can. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do my best. And it's so much energy and effort in trying. But God is not like that. Faith is the exact opposite of I think I can. Faith, faith is the response of knowing that I can't. That I can't. And, and that's, that's, a statement that's a statement that leads to surrender. It's not I think I can. No, it's I realize I can't. I acknowledge what the Bible says about me, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
that we have so many imperfections and failures and stumbles along the way. And it's not that I think I can, I know I can't, so I surrender in faith. And where does this faith come from? Because God says it's impossible to please him unless I have faith. Well, the good news is, is the Bible says that God gives, and you can jot it down in Romans chapter 12, verse three, that God gives to each one a measure of faith. He gives to each one a measure of faith. And to me, there's such great comfort and assurance knowing that God has given me faith, given you faith, increasing it and testing it daily, which brings us to a question. Okay, so we've all been given a measure of faith. How can I grow my faith? How can I have a big faith? I mean, I know for me, I can declare to you, I wish it wasn't so, but it is the way it is. I'm not a tremendous man of great faith. I know a lot of guys that are, but I'm not. I happen to lean toward, and God must convict me of this wanting to figure things out, wanting to rearrange things, and well, if you know if we do this, and what about that, and you know, pray about this, but then we can move this, like I have a tendency to default to that, and God just won't mess around, he doesn't mess around with that, he doesn't allow that. He brings me and boxes me into places where he says, Ed, the only thing that will please me is not you figuring it out, but you trusting me. And over and over again, I'm brought to that place of trust. And maybe you're the same, where you go, well, you know what, I look at my life and and I have a little faith. I just have a little bit of faith. How can I grow it? And I love that comparison that many people have made of faith to a muscle. That the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And the more, the greater steps that come and the more faith that's built upon faith. But let me give you four things, very simple. You ask the question, how can I grow my faith? Let me give you four words to remember. Four things that you and I can regularly engage in to grow our faith. Number one, the first word is abiding. How do I grow my faith? I choose to abide in Christ. The very source of your strength and mine is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verse four. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We spent so many weeks, not too long ago, being reminded of the good shepherd. He's gonna lead you guide you, provide for you, make you lie down, give you what you need, take away what you don't need because he's a good shepherd. Stay with him. That's what the word abiding means. Stay put. Stay put. Number two, abiding. Number two, reading. You want your faith to grow? Read the Bible. I know that's not anything surprising or startling, but read your Bible, church. Read your Bible. If there was ever a time to be men and women that just simply read their Bible more, it's now. Why? Well, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you know the verse because we quote it all the time. The address is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Read the Bible and your faith will grow automatically. And you want an extra bonus? Read the Bible out loud. So that not only are you receiving its words as you're reading it, but you're also hearing it at the same time. And now with the free Bible app, the version, so many of the versions, they have them reading to you. 
You can just set it up on and put your headphones in and let the Bible be read to you every time you're in the Bible. I don't care where you are. Genesis, Leviticus, Revelation, John, wherever you are, every single time. It is a promise fulfilled by God every single time. Like today, in this moment, every time I read a scripture, your faith will be strengthened automatically. You go, Ed, but I don't, I don't experience it. No, automatically, you take God at his word. Number three, so you have abiding, reading. Number three, obeying. You want your faith to grow? Obey. <laughs> you want to grow in your faith? Do what you read. Do what you read. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. You're already still in Hebrews, so notice verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. That was his big step of faith in Genesis 12. But who would have ever thought from Genesis 12 Hey, get out of your country, go to the land I'm gonna show you. Who could have ever thought that that little step of faith would lead to that step of faith where God now says, I want you to take your son, your only, your firstborn son, and take him up and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. But that was the faith by faith by faith by faith. And then by the time we get to Mount Moriah where Abraham goes and he takes Isaac, what, what does he say? You know what? I'm gonna come back with the lad. Whatever God has for me up on the mount, I'm coming back home. And we're coming together by faith, where he tells his son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Because God grew his faith from chapter 12 all the way to that time in Mount Moriah. Obey the word. Number four, so you have abiding, reading, obeying. Number four, adding. Add to your faith. Peter encouraged us to grow and add. Listen to what he says. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. So, so give diligence to growing your faith. Pay attention to it. Stick with it. He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Because if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Add to your faith, knowledge, brotherly kindness, those characteristics that come by abiding in Christ. Remember faith that we're speaking of in Romans or Hebrews 11 is rooted in God. He's the object and the origin. And the hall of faith, which is what chapter 11 is, is a list of men and women that believed in the big picture and recognize they served a big God. We easily get caught up in the small circumstances that are huge. We, we, you know, you have a choice, don't you? you? You could either have small difficulties in a big God, or we can choose to see big difficulties that sh reveal to us a thought that our God is so small he could never solve them. And I choose to have a big God. And I choose to walk by faith, trusting in the big picture. Even as it's painful today, I know God is working things out for the good. I know he's moving and he's arranging and that he's sovereign over my life. Oh yeah, it hurts now. Oh yeah, it's temporary, it's momentary. It's challenging, it's hard, it's hurtful. But like these men and women of old, God is leading us to follow their example. And their example is to remember a big God. They took God at his promises and that's what led them in life. It changed their lives forever. And for the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
God promised them a physical land, that you're going to have a land where you will dwell and your descendants will multiply like the stars in heaven. But you know, he promised them much greater than a land. The land was simply for the purposes of bringing a savior. So remember, the promise of the land was actually a promise of the savior, that you will not only have a land and many descendants, but I will send a rescuer. I will send the one. No longer will you have to bring sacrifice after sacrifice, lamb after lamb, bloodshed after bloodshed after bloodshed. No, I will give you a new covenant. I will take out that heart of stone and I will put in your life a heart of flesh and I will fulfill the promises I give to you. Did Abraham see Messiah? Just say it out loud. Yes or no? No. Although in some ways he could see him by faith but he never met him personally, not before he passed away. Did Isaac see Messiah? No. Did Jacob see Messiah? No, not physically, only by faith. Because we learn in Hebrews that these all died not receiving the promises. But you know, they lived as if the promises were theirs. They lived knowing that God would keep his promise. And Jacob Well, Jacob, those of you that are Bible students, you know Jacob was not a perfect man. His name alone (laughs) revealed his character. If in Hebrews 11, verse 21, if you want to circle his name, Jacob, you can write next to it, schemer, supplanter. I know we don't use that word much, but you could also write heel catcher. From the very, from the womb with his twin, he was working a deal and pulling back and grabbing the, grabbing the heel of his brother. And he lived his life always working a deal. He lived his life not so much by faith, although he had some significant episodes of faith. No, he, were, he lived his life doing his own thing, scheming his way through life. He was always trying to help God out a little here and help God out a little there, but he ended up paying a high price for it. It hurt him deeply. He followed in the sins of his father, unfortunately. And for all the things that he could have been remembered for, Hebrews 11 is not the hall of failure. It's the hall of faith. And what is he remembered for? It says in verse 21, when he was dying, the end of his life, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on his staff. You know, the leaning on his staff is very significant. It wasn't just a walking stick for an old person. The staff represented the authority of the family, the God-given authority of the family. So as you see him there worshiping, you see him there leaning, he's there with the authority that God has given him in his family. He's resting upon the authority of God. So with that in mind, let's go back to Genesis 48 now. Genesis chapter 48. This is the chapter that's being mentioned in Hebrews 11. This is the faith that Jacob is remembered for. He's not remembered for all of his failures. He's not remembered for all of his schemes. He's remembered for this episode of faith. And it's interesting to me that he's not remembered for chapter 49. Notice chapter 49. I mean, chapter 49 is filled with faith because here he is blessing all of his kids. I mean, on my Bible, it's a full page, chapter 49. It's a full page. 
It says he blesses Reuben in verse 3. He blesses Simeon, verse 5. He blesses Judah in verse 8. He blesses Levi in verse 5. He, he blesses Zebulun in verse 13, and Issachar in verse 14, and Dan in verse 16, and Gad in verse 19. He prophesies over them. He blesses them. He encourages them. That's not what he's remembered for. He's remembered for ver- chapter 48. A little episode, not even a prophetic episode, just a blessing with his son Joseph and two of Joseph's kids, Manasseh and Ephraim. Notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 48. Now it came to pass that after these things, Joseph was told, indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat on the bed. Now those of you that are new to the Bible, I want to point this out to you. Israel is the name that God gave to Jacob after he wrestled with them. It was a new name. Jacob, schemer, planner, working a deal, supplanter, heel catcher, Jacob. He often see Jacob referred to as Jacob. But then Israel is his new name. You know what Israel means? Israel means governed by God or controlled by God. Jacob, I know you're a schemer. I know you're doing your thing, but you, you, you need to be controlled by me. I'm giving you a new name. And every time you hear this name, I want you to remember, be controlled by me. Be governed by me. Surrender your life to me. And this is an episode where we find this interaction, Jacob and Israel. And here he is, as his boy's coming, it says that Israel, he strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. Then Jacob, verse 3, said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I'll make you fruitful and multiply you, and I'll make you of you a multitude of people. Give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now we learn in verse, in chapter 47, that Jacob is 147 years old right here. 147. I don't know about you, but I do not want to live to 147. But that's where he is. He's an old man. In the final days, the final breaths of his life. 147 years old. And he's a man that for the last 17 years... The last 17 years, he's a man that has enjoyed the company of the son that he thought he lost forever, Joseph. Those of you that know Joseph's story, we'll get into it in a future study in Hebrews, but you remember his wicked, vile brothers were so jealous of him. Three times in the chapter it says they hated him, that they first threw him into a pit to just die there but they felt a little guilty, took him out of the pit and sold him to Ishmaelite slave traders that ended up taking him to Egypt and Potiphar bought him. And then Potiphar's wife lied, accused him of rape. From Potiphar's house, he was thrown into prison and he was basically forgotten in prison without any family, without any friends, in prison, falsely accused, forgotten, only to be delivered out of prison and become second in command in Egypt. I mean, it was a heavy life that Joseph lived. But remember, 
when, this, when Jacob's sons came back and said, I'm sorry, but Joseph is dead. And here's his coat of many colors with the blood on it from the animal. Say, look, dad, forever, you'll never see your son again. He's dead. And it crushed and broke Jacob the rest of his life. It was a day-by-day mourning and grieving of the loss of his son Joseph, who he loved very much, never to see him again. It broke him and crushed him so much that even as famine came in the land many years later, and he sends his sons to go and buy grain from that new leader in Egypt, which they don't know it's Joseph, that when Joseph holds back his other favored son, And the brothers go back to tell him, Jacob is so torn, he says, God is against me. This is so bad that God is against me. And we know that God wasn't against him. And God ends up giving him 17 years with Joseph. Not only does God give him 17 years with Joseph, but God gives him years with his grandkids. So good. And what a blessing for many of you that you get to enjoy grandparenting. May the Lord bless you and you enjoy it all the way. Joseph's life is laid out in great detail. From the pit to the prison to the palace of Egypt. And even though there was a point in many in Jacob's life, he lived his life most of his years until he was 150 or so thinking he forever lost Joseph. No hope of any grandchildren. God moves in an instant. And there he is at the end of his life. Yeah, the boys are half Egyptian. They were born to Joseph in Egypt. However, they're 100% a part of the plan of God. And he finds strength in the Lord to sit up. And even though he's very old, and even though we see in a moment he can't see, and even though he's moments and breaths away from death, his memory is sharp. Because he remembers the promises of God. That's so encouraging to me. You know, he has a lot. If you look at the scales of his life between failure and faith, failure far outweighs everything in his life. He, He just had only episodes of faith. Jacob isn't known as a great man of faith. However, when his memory kicks in, he remembers not all the failures. He goes, you know, I remember when I was in Luz, which is the other area of Bethel. Remember, Bethel is the house of God. He remembers that area where God spoke to him and said, look, Jacob, look, look, I want you to know that the promise I gave to Abraham and the promise I gave to your dad, I'm giving to you and your children, that you're going to have a land, that you're going to have descendants, that there is coming a savior that will bring life to all the world, even though Jacob won't see it himself. You know, they're not going to experience the promised land as you go through chronologically in the Bible till Joshua takes them in. It's gonna be some time. They're gonna be in Egypt for a while. The first part of, as this family grows, the first part is very good under Joseph's leadership. But then Joseph dies And you have other pharaohs taking over until the time where the Bible says that there was a pharaoh that was raised up that did not know or remember Joseph. Then things got really hard for this fledgling little nation. And they became slaves and put into hard labor. And it was difficult and challenging until God what raised up a deliverer. His name is Moses. Moses takes them out. 
But because of their faithlessness, they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And it was after the 40-year wilderness wandering, 40 years, I mean, imagine, imagine if you threw away 40 years of your life. That's a significant amount of time. And that whole generation died in the wilderness. A new generation enters in as Joshua takes them over the Jordan into Jericho, into Ai, till finally they start to receive the allotment of the promise. That's the promise given to Jacob. And as he has Joseph there, 17 years that he never thought he'd have, as he has his grandsons there, Ephraim and Manasseh, notice verse 5. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours, Joseph. And they'll be called by the name of your brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came from Padan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And then Israel, governed by God, saw Joseph's son and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I'll bless them. And now the eyes of Israel will dim with age so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and he embraced them. So here we are at 147 years old. Jacob, with all of his self-confidence, laid it aside. All of his scheming, all of the plans and games, they're now gone. And instead, there's a resolute faith for the next generation. Jacob, now referred to a few times as Israel, draws a son to himself. And these two sons, and he says, they're like mine. They're like Reuben and Simeon. They're going to be like mine. And it made me think, as we look at Jacob's life here now at the very end, finally, at 147 years old, now, it won't be 147 for us. Maybe it'll be 50 for us. Maybe it'll be 60 for us. Maybe it'll be 70 for us. I don't know what number God is going to give us. But is it going to take you to the end of your life to finally surrender to God? Is, that, is, is it going to take the... What is it going to take for you to choose to surrender your life now? Will it be 104? Will it be... Okay, you know, Ed, after I get all of my goals... After I get my education, I get my career, I get my house, I get everything settled, I raise my kids, then I have some grandkids, then, 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 finally, then, I'll finally surrender. And then by then, your whole life would have passed. It would have been like Jacob. You know, it's never too late, for sure. But it can be put off for too long. You sort of wish Jacob lived like this earlier in his life. What could have happened? What could have happened in his life? But for us now, we can lay aside our self-confidence. And we can lay aside our schemes and games and plans and ask God for his forgiveness. We can learn from Jacob. We can learn from his life. I believe if Jacob was here today and he had a testimony to share, he would just tell us, hey, church, don't go the way I went. Don't do it. You'll regret it. The, the well, Bible, when, 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 the, when Paul writes in Galatians that when you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption, he's right. Look at my life. So much corruption. Look at the boys I raised. 
Look at how wicked and evil they were. I mean, some of them were murderers. Some of them were rapists. They would sell their own brother, put him in a pit to die, sell him to slave traders. Jacob would tell you, don't go my way. It's not worth it. The Bible says that these things, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, these things happen to them as examples to us. They're examples to us. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so he sees Joseph here and he sees the kids. He says, bring them here. I want to bless them. Our kids, your kids and grandkids are a blessing from the Lord, church. They are a blessing from the Lord. Can I get an amen on that? Your kids, your grandkids are a blessing from the Lord. Even if you're not a parent today or not a grandparent, maybe you're an aunt or an uncle. Even if you are not married and you're single today, perhaps you don't have any connection with kids other than this church. Well, these kids in this church are very special to the Lord. And in a very real way, you can take these kids and take responsibility for the kids of this church. There are kids. When I look at the kids of this church, I have my own kids and a grandson. And although I have great influence in my son's lives and my daughter's lives, I don't have great influence in my grandson's life, unfortunately. But I get influence in your life and in your kids' lives. And I get to stand in such a way to bless your kids and encourage your kids. And I treat the kids of this church like they're my kids. They're very special. Whether they're here one week or not. Whether they're here, they grow up here. I take it very seriously. And I want to pour into them. I want to be a good example to them. I want them to not only see Pastor Ed here, but when they see me at the store, that I'd be a good example to them. That they could see and look up to me and say, that's what a man of God looks like. Not a perfect man, but a man of God. I think very often in my prayers, I do not want to stumble at the end of my race and jack your kids up and hurt you and stumble you. I want to finish my race all the way through the finish line. No matter what comes my way, I want to be a good example. But that's not just for me. The kids of this church are also looking at you. They're looking at what a marriage looks like. They're looking at what a mom looks like. They're, they're watching you. And kids are smarter than they let on. <laughs> they're very perceptive. Even if they see you one time in the hallway and they recognize you at King Supers, they may not run up. They may not have permission to run up to you, but they make the connection. I saw them at church. And now they're seeing you at King Supers. And they're watching how you interact. And maybe the kids are jumping on at an older age and they're on Facebook and Twitter and they're watching what you write. They're seeing how you freak out. They're watching you when you say this and say that and there you are. How are you influencing the kids and the grandkids? Are you saying, bring them here and let me bless them? Now, of course, you're going to do that a different way. You're going to bless them by example. You're going to bless them by encouragement. You're going to bless them by living a life as unto the Lord. But do you think of blessing the kids of this church? I, I, I thank you, men and women, that teach our Sunday school. I know we haven't done it in a while, but it's coming back. And I thank you for investing your time in the children of this church. Thank you for that. Thank you for preparing the lessons and praying over those kids and getting down at their level and teaching them the Bible in a way that they can understand and being patient with them and loving to them and caring for them. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You pray for Pastor Michael and Shandell, and the Sunday school teachers and their spouses. Pray about becoming a part of that. 
Because our kids need instruction in the ways of the Lord. I thank God for Pastor Keegan and his wife and family and the men and women that support him to, to pour into the junior high age kids. That we have dedicated people that say this is what we're going, we are going to pour the word of God into their lives. Now Keegan's never said this, but I'm sure there have been times when he looks at it and he goes, I don't think I'm making any progress. It seems like the world is just ripping the kids off and they're not really interested. He's never really sure, but I'm sure he's felt that way. I've certainly felt that way. It's like, I just don't think I'm making any progress. I see this posted and I watch this and I get another marriage divorce. And it's like, man, I don't even know. I, I don't know, Lord, what, what is it? I don't understand. Why are people falling away? And, and the Lord says, just keep sowing seeds, Ed. Just keep loving people. The results aren't up to you. And I thank God for Keegan and all the people that serve with him. I thank God for Josh and all the men and women that serve him and pour into the high school age kids in our church. I thank God for Tucker as he pours into the young adults of our church and the leaders around him. Like every area of our church has men and women dedicated to discipleship and pouring in. Why? Because the world, it seems like it's getting, you know how hard it is for you right now? How challenging it is for you? How you don't have the answers? You don't know what to do? It's one thing after another thing after another thing after, you know, I don't know how much I can take. Think about how it is for kids. They don't have the ability to process it like you do. They don't have the experience that you do. And they're just trying to make a go at it. And they've got temptations coming at them that we never faced, at least the way they're facing them. I didn't, know, I don't, I didn't walk around with a computer in my pocket. I, I didn't walk around with pornography shooting at me from advertisements. I, I didn't walk around with the kind of sexual immorality that's being pressed on every single corner. And our kids, they need you. Grandkids, they need you. They need you to stand in the gap, to pray for them, to bless them, to remember them. I hope you love kids, church, because Jesus loved kids. You remember that time when the, kid, the parents wanted to bring their kids and the disciples said, they, it says here, the disciples rebuked them. We don't know what they said, but I'm sure, oh, Jesus doesn't have time. He's too important. Get your kids away. Not Jesus. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. Don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and departed from there. So please pray for the kids in our church. Pray about getting involved in some way in discipling kids in our church. You know, for me, I got to spend so many, most of my ministry training and experience was with kids. I miss it. There's just something special about teaching kiddos and pouring into kiddos and just the beauty, beautiful innocence about them and, and how willing they are. And of course, as they get to a certain age, they get all rebellious and such. But even then, we get to adapt ourselves so that we can convince our children of the love of God. Not by argument, but by example. So Jacob says, bring those kids to me. It sounds like Jesus Bring him here. I want to bless him. I love that. Verse 11. And Israel said to Joseph, this is such a heavy, dramatic verse. I know we're reading it so quickly, but don't, this is so dramatic. Listen to what he says. Verse 11. Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. You know what he's saying here? I thought you were dead and I would never see you ever again. And look what God has done. 
Not only have I seen you and been with you for 17 years, but I also get to enjoy your kids. That's what he's saying here. No doubt, at the end of his life, so grateful for the faithfulness of God. So notice, he says in verse 12, Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand and he brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and the right hand is the hand of blessing, you know, the firstborn. And his left hand was on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly for Manasseh was the firstborn. So he did this on purpose. He puts the hand of blessing that belonged to the firstborn on the secondborn because God told him to do that. And so the way he has his arms set up, even though he's old, even though he can't see, he's doing it exactly the way that God is guiding him. And he blessed Joseph and said, verse 15, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's fed me all my life long to this day. Now he didn't always believe this because remember that time when the famine hit the land and he sent his boys, he heard about the grain that's being sold in Egypt. He sent his boys to go get grain because he was afraid they would starve. And instead of praying and asking God to provide, he sends his boys to Egypt. Now again, God uses all of that, but he didn't always believe this, but now at the end of his life, he goes, oh no, I could see God's hand in it all. The angel, it says, verse 16, who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named among them. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid the, his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his dad's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head and put it on Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his dad, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. And his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will bless, saying may God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he said Ephraim before Manasseh and Israel said to Joseph, behold I'm dying but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. You just see the sovereignty of God here, arranging all these things perfectly. God is in it all. And Joseph wants to help dad out a little bit. He's old, he can't see, barely able, leaning on his staff. They go, oh no, dad, you messed it up. Put your hands back. And Jacob said, no, no, I'm the patriarch here, Joseph. I'm doing what God told me to do. And you know, yeah, he's going to be, a, he's gonna be a, a, a big, he's going to be an important son as well. But truly his younger brother will be greater. And that was the will of God. Jacob's life, Joseph's life, was so filled with sorrow and challenges, sadness. The whole family, the whole family was filled with dysfunction. You know, that's a word that's used today. Dysfunctional families. Maybe even you have had that diagnosis or someone said, you know, what a dysfunctional family. Let me let you in on a secret. You ready? It's a big secret. Don't tell anybody. It just stays in the room. You ready? We all have come from dysfunctional families. There's not one perfect one in the bunch. And you go, Ed, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Sin has ruined every family. 
There isn't a family here that hasn't been touched by sin. And there isn't a family here that can stand up as a perfect example of what family should be. There's dysfunction in all of our family because of sin. Now, hey, we can't choose the family that we were born into or adopted into or through the foster care system. We can't choose that. God chose it for us. But we can choose how to respond. And we can choose how to go forward. I think of my own life, the faults and failures that Marie brought into our marriage from her dysfunctional family. And the faults and failures, that was not a joke, but you can laugh if you want. I didn't mean that to be a joke, I'll start with me. But she brought some problems in our marriage and so did I. And there we are, two broken people coming into marriage, two broken kids that weren't saved. But let me tell you something, when we were born again, everything changed for our family. The dysfunction changed and began to improve, not only for our kids, but for our parents and grandparents as well. God apprehended our family. And what you need and what I need is to be born again. That's what will save your family. That's what will change the course of your life. That's what will help you raise your kids, love your kids, rescue your kids, pray for your kids. Ye must be born again in order to change the dysfunction in your family. It won't be through bitterness and unforgiveness. It won't be through holding a grudge and being mad the rest of your life. You must be born again. In no way am I minimizing the pain or hurt that you've experienced at all. It's hard to come from a divorced family or to have a mom or dad abandon you, to be in a horrific abusive situation or to have drunkenness or drug abuse and your parents, it's hard. Jacob and Joseph, Joseph, Jacob raised evil kids, evil kids. There were murderers among Jacob's kids, rapists. The whole lot of them came together and sold their own brother for a few pieces of silver. Oh, God used it prophetically Joseph becomes a type and a picture of Jesus Christ, rejected by his own, but don't let the drama and difficulty. They were, a, they, their whole, they were so wicked and evil that they, they didn't care about Jacob spending time with Joseph. They didn't care about Jacob spending time with his grandkids. They didn't care. They, they lived every day knowing Joseph was alive somewhere and never told their dad. It's dysfunctional, to say the least. But here we are. What family got in the hall of faith? This dysfunctional family. Who got in? Who's the one that gets named first? Jacob. Jacob's in the hall of faith, remember? Go back to Hebrews 11. He made it in. And let me tell you something. If he'll make it in, you can make it in. Go back to Hebrews 11. Jacob makes it in. You see... God places us in the family of his choosing for his purposes. And like Jacob, all that he went through, he would say in all those times in the last breath of his life that he could look back and see the faithfulness of God in all those terrible experiences. He could look back and see how the master weaver and the potter spinning life on the wheel was putting things together for his plan and his purpose so that it says that while Jacob was dying, verse 21, at this very last breaths, he comes and he says, Joseph, bring your kids, bring my grandsons to me. I want to bless them. 
I want to tell them about the promise. I want to set up their future to be a future of faith. And what he can't see physically, he sees spiritually. And he looks into the future and gives them a future and a hope. And he learns and he shares in the presence of his son and his grandsons that nothing is wasted by God. Nothing. Nothing. Faith will get you to the end, church, all the way so that you pass it on to your kids generation after generation. You're born again. Everything changes. You don't, you're not bound by the sins of your father or your mother. And you don't have to repeat the sins of your father and mother because you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You'll make, you don't have to repeat the sins of your mom and dad. You know why? You're going to have your own sins and your own mistakes and your own challenges. And every generation gets to learn of the faithfulness of God in its own way. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like being born again, living your life by faith. Trusting him at every phase and every step. Oh, it may be painful and hurtful and you may not understand it and you may not like it. But Jacob gets into the hall of faith. He blessed, he worshiped, and he was leaning upon the Lord that staff of authority. And he gets in, not because of his failures, not because he was perfect, not because every part of his life is an example, but simply because he was a man that believed God. And he's in Egypt right now. He's not in the promised land. He's in Egypt. And he's telling Joseph, you're going to get in. Your kids are going to get in. God is going to keep his promises. And that's how he went down. He went down by faith. And so, Father, we want to have that faith built in us. You know, the pain of our family is real, unfortunately. And so I just pray right now, even mentioning the pain of our families, that you would bring some healing uh, and encouragement, that you, in a moment's time, you will just move and everything changes. Praise God for that. That you would bring the prodigals home. And you would change hearts and bring conviction. And, and even as you worked in the sons of Jacob, many of them changed. They repented. They humbled themselves before you. And may we find ourselves in that same place. And are you here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ? Are you watching online, listening on the radio, and you've never given your life? You've never ask for the forgiveness of your sins. You've never humbled yourself. You've never laid aside your self-sufficiency. You never laid aside your uh, schemes, your agendas, your own plans. I invite you to follow Jesus Christ today. Like a child, trusting God at his word. I can hear Jesus say, let those kids come to me. And I can hear him say that today here in the room via technology. I can hear it. I can hear Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I want to give you a chance before we leave today, if you've never given your life to Jesus right here in this room, that you would respond to the invitation by simply standing to your feet. If that's you, just, hey, stand to your feet. Let's, let's do this together. And I want to help you take your first steps in following Jesus. And of course, if you're watching online, can't see you, but it doesn't matter if I see you or we see you. God sees you. Of course, on the radio, we don't see you either. 
But the good news is that the, the Bible says the eyes of God are everywhere on the just and the unjust, and he sees you. And I want to invite you just the same, like you're in this room, that God using technology to bring you to a place of surrender. Are you ready today? Surrender. For you here in the room, stand and allow the Holy Spirit surrender yourself to God. Know that he loves you and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. All these promises, they point to the coming of a savior. And you need a savior. You're not going to make it on your own, I promise you. So for those of you that have responded, I want to help you with what the Bible says. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So let me help you with that. In a prayer to God, you can repeat something like this or my exact words. As long as it's genuine and real, God hears it. You could say something like, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe God raised him from the dead and I choose to follow him all the days of my life. Listen, anyone that comes to Jesus, the Bible says he won't cast away. So if you prayed that today here in the room, after the song and as people are exiting, I want you to stay seated so a pastor could come and talk to you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.